Have you ever heard someone say that churches only exist to make money? Have you ever heard someone say that, that churches only exist to make money? Maybe you haven't heard it said, maybe you have said it, and deep down that's your feeling. This week uh, I read it in a comment section on an article that I was reading, and I know what you're thinking, you shouldn't go that deep into an article that you're into the comment section anyway. But I got there and uh, there was this big debate going on, and eventually uh, I read this line from someone that they thought it was going to be their winning argument. They said, churches exist only to make money, you know, I win the argument, game over. Now you read that, and deep down you want to fire up, right, and reply to that and enter that debate, but then I realized it's probably just a 12-year-old boy trying to bait me into some sort of argument, so I let it go. But I did wonder, what makes someone say this? What makes someone say that churches only exist to make money? And how can someone say that? And then I remembered the TV shows that sometimes are on, whether it's in the morning or late at night. And basically what the TV show is all, it's a pastor on the screen with bank details up and they are pleading for your money. Right, normally attached to uh, some story about some kid that gave $30 to their ministry and the next day had a new car and so they're kind of sort of saying, if you do the same, you'll get the same, right? And so I started to realize, actually, I can understand how some would say churches exist to have money. And then I thought about people's experiences of church and how you come to church and the pastor gets up and he gives a spiel about money. Ross, I thought you did all right this morning. And then the buckets get passed around and we ask for money. And so I understand how someone can say churches exist to only exist to make money. This is a problem, isn't it? Right? The, the, there's a problem there because we don't want to just be known for people who exist to have money. Right? We want to be known for good news tellers, people who tell people about the good news about Jesus. So maybe what we should do is just speak lots about Jesus and leave money at the door. We'll leave your wallet at the door. You earn your money. You deserve it. We'll just keep speaking about Jesus. Maybe that's going to you know, even things up. The problem with that is Jesus speaks about money. So eventually, as we speak about Jesus, we're going to come across Jesus who is speaking about money. And we saw that here today. When he says treasures in heaven, it's literally this idea of money and possessions. And so as we speak about Jesus, eventually we're going to come across Jesus speaking about money. So why does Jesus speak about money? Why does Jesus speak about money? He doesn't need our money, right? He's God. He doesn't need our money. So, so why does Jesus speak about money? And in turn, why are we then going to speak about money. Well, if you have your Bibles there, but it'll be on the screen as well, what we see is that Jesus speaks about money not because he wants our money or needs our money, but because actually he cares about us. And so we see this as we pick it up in verse 19. He says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does Jesus speak about money? Well, Jesus speaks about money for three reasons. We see from verse 19 to 25, there's three reasons there. And this first reason is in verse 19 to 21. The first reason Jesus speaks about money is because money gives us something that will fade. That's what money gives us. It gives us something that will fade. And to explain this, Jesus says, don't put your treasures on earth put them in heaven. Don't put your treasures on earth where moths and vermin 
Your Bible might even say rust there, where they're going to get into it and you know, get at your money and make your money disappear, which was a legit thing back in the day. Right? They didn't have banks, and so you could have quite easily came home to your money being destroyed by rats. But Jesus' point is not that. His point is not how it will fade, especially since I've never come home to a rat eating on our dollar coins. Right? I've never seen that experience in my house. Maybe you have. But that's not Jesus' point here. His point is not how it will fade, but that it will fade. And I think we actually know this as we look around. I think we do know this, right? Your best clothes from 10 years ago will be lucky to get $5 at Vinnie's now. A car, if you buy a new car, loses thousands of dollars as it goes onto the road as soon as you drive it out of that car dealership. We know that stuff loses its value. But then you say, but what about the vintage car, right, that actually has gained value? Or what about the house in the 50s we paid 10 bucks for and now is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars? Well, Jesus' point is still the same. Whether it loses value instantly or gains value over time, eventually the point will come for you where your stuff means nothing. Eventually for you, the time is coming where money and stuff means nothing. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in a second. But no one on their deathbed says, I wish I had more stuff. At that point, in that moment of your life, money and possessions means nothing. And so Jesus here is saying, this is a bad investment. Put your stuff, put your treasures, put your money and your possessions into stuff on earth. It's a bad investment. It's a big claim, isn't it? Right? Like depending who you're speaking to, someone might say stocks are a bad investment or buying a house in this market is a bad investment. I've never heard anyone say just straight out money is a bad investment. And yet that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying it doesn't matter where you put it. It doesn't matter where you put your money or your possessions. Eventually it's going to fade. It's a bad investment. So if this is a bad investment, naturally, what's a good investment? Well, Jesus says, don't put it on earth. Your treasure's on earth. He says, no, put your treasures in heaven. It's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? I mean, I haven't really been told that, you know, from someone before to, to put your treasures in heaven. This is an interesting thing to say for a couple of reasons. If you've been to a financial advisor before, uh, you'll kind of see the weight of uh, this experience. If you've been to a financial advisor, you know the situation. You go in, you speak about your money, and they tell you what good investments are. Elizabeth and I did this a couple of years ago. Uh, we went to a financial advisor on the recommendation of a couple of people we knew. Uh, we went in, we had that awkward chat about how much we earned and, and where you know, we could save and put money away and stuff like that. And he says to us, he looks at us and says, okay, so here's some good investments, right? Put your savings away and you can get a house, right? And that, that'll be a good investment. Uh, you can do some weird things with your super. That potentially could be, I mean, we don't know, but that could be a good investment, he says. Buy some stocks, maybe not all of your money in stocks, but that could be a good investment. We smiled and nodded. We had no idea what he was talking about and signed away all of our money. No, we didn't do that. But uh, he was saying to us, this is a good investment, right? A house is a good investment. Stocks are a good investment. Super is a good investment. But you know what he's not saying? He's not saying, he doesn't look at us and look at how much we earn and go, you know what, actually, whatever you put your money into is a bad investment. He doesn't say that. He doesn't look at us and go, you know what, it doesn't matter if you get a house or two houses. It doesn't matter if you buy that vintage car. It doesn't matter if you get stocks. It doesn't matter what you do because eventually for you, everything that you invest in is going to fade. He didn't say that, right? He didn't say, instead, put your treasures in heaven. Of course he didn't say that. But that's what Jesus is saying here. 
Right? Jesus is saying that. He says, don't put your treasures on earth. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, we can't sugarcoat this. Jesus is saying this to us. Don't put your treasures on earth. Instead, put your treasures in heaven. Now, it's at this point where we have to take a step out of this money passage and see that heaven is only a reality for us because of what Jesus has done at the cross. Right? We, we know that. We talk about that each week. Heaven is only a reality for us because of what Jesus did at the cross. That's what Matthew is all about. That's what the whole story of the Bible is all about. It's how we are broken people living in a broken world with broken values, and yet Jesus died on the cross to give us a hope of something that isn't broken. Heaven. So, so our reality of heaven comes because Jesus entered a real time and place in history, died, and rose again. So, so we have to remember that first, right? We can't put treasures in heaven if we don't have that reality. But we have that reality as we come and trust in Jesus. And he says, put your treasures in heaven. So what does it mean to put your treasures in heaven? What does it actually mean for us to put our treasures actively in heaven? Um, well, if you grew up in Australia in the 90s, you might kind of have an idea of this. In the 90s, maybe a little bit before that actually, or a little bit after as well, Kids everywhere had Dolomite accounts. I don't know if you remember that. You might have kids that had that or friends that had that. Basically, all it was was Commonwealth Bank's version to get all the kids on their, you know, their bank system so that later on they'd be Commonwealth Bank users. It's genius what Commonwealth Bank are doing through that system. Anyway, we, we loved it growing up, right? You got your own little booklet. You felt like a big boy with a big boy's bank account. You loved it, right? You got your own bank account. Um, the, the problem is, though, kids don't get money, right? I mean, you, you sort of get that one plus one equals two. You sort of get that if you can put all your money in a bank account, then it pulls together, and when you want that money, you can crack into it and go and spend it on lollies. But the idea that you can put your money in a bank, someone else has it, and it goes up magically by like 3%, is messed up for a kid. Right? But, but I remember growing up and some friends of mine had this opportunity given to them where their parents said to them, if you put in a dollar to savings, we'll match your dollar. Right? Dollar for dollar, we'll match it in savings. The problem is, though, you can't touch it for 15 years. Right? So, so their, you know, their idea, their strategy was we want to teach our kids how to save and what it means you know, to get money later on. I, I don't know whether it's a good thing or not. The, the problem is, though, as a kid... In that moment, you know you can either have five bucks now or you can put 10 bucks into a savings account, but you can't touch it for 15 years, which for a kid is a lifetime. So, so what do kids do? Right? It's obvious every single day of the week we're taking the five bucks and we're going to the corner store. We're buying ghost drops for me. That was my thing growing up. We bought 100 ghost drops if you don't know what they are, they're the lollies for five cents that turned your tongue a different color. Right, a hundred of them, that's five bucks. That's a good investment in my mind as a kid. But looking back on that, right, the older you get, the, you're looking back on that situation. If we were given the same opportunity again, the same time again, the same chance again, we all know what we would do in that situation, don't we? Right? We're leaving that five bucks, we're putting it into savings. Uh, according to a Google search that I did, 10 bucks over 15 years at 3%, something like 10 grand, right? I'm sure your Google search will do you something different. 
But that's uh, some serious money. And so looking back on that situation, what we would do if we had the chance again is obvious, isn't it? I mean, there's no way we're taking that five bucks. We're putting it away. Essentially, that's what Jesus is saying here. Saying, you can have your five bucks. You, you can spend it on lollies. It will be good, but it's temporary. It will be good, but it's temporary. Buy your house. But it's good, but it's temporary. Buy that car. It's good, but it's temporary. Buy security, buy comfort. It's good, but it's temporary. Or, Jesus says, invest in something that's not going to fade. Invest your treasures in something greater in heaven. And what Jesus is doing here is tapping in on the idea that even in heaven and hell, there are levels of reward and punishment. I mean, we do actually see that throughout the Bible. That in heaven and hell, there are levels of reward and punishment. Now, again, we've got to recognize we only get the reality of heaven because of trusting in Jesus. Right? We only have that reality because of trusting in Jesus. Romans 8 says we can't please God unless we're trusting in Jesus. Right? So there's no way to put treasures in heaven unless we're in Jesus. But there is this idea throughout the Bible that what we sow, we will reap. What we spend our time and our energy on, God will match later on. So Jesus says, don't invest here where it's going to fade. Invest your time and your energy and your money in something that won't fade. This is a big deal, right? Like if if we as Christians really believe this, it should change how we spend our money. If we are really signing off with what Jesus is saying here, then it actually needs to change things because he's saying you can affect your eternity here. And so Jesus says, here's a good investment. Put your treasures in heaven. Nothing's going to touch that. right? Nothing's going to touch that. God's going to look after that and make sure that we get onto that. This is a good investment, he says. This is a good investment to put your treasures in heaven. But he doesn't just say put your treasures in heaven because it's a good investment. He also says put your treasures in heaven because where your money goes, your heart goes. Right? That's what he said. Where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. And so if we think about that, if you want to know what you value and what you love in this life, look at your bank account. Look at your bank statement because that's going to be a dead giveaway of what you value, of what we really truly value. That's a sign of what we value because where we spend our money, our heart goes, where our heart is, we spend our money. So Jesus says, right? He says, put your treasures in heaven. There's something greater. It's a good investment and it's about your heart. So the first thing that money gives us is something that fades. It's not going to last. But Jesus goes on. He says money also gives us something else. And the second thing that money gives us, we see in those next verses, is that money gives us a blurred vision. We see that in verse 22. He says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's Jesus saying there? Because it's a bit wordy, Jesus' word there. It's a little bit wordy in our context, in our culture, in our day and age. But essentially, Jesus is just saying this. He's saying when it's light, you see, right? You see clearly when it's light. Uh, You can see where you're going. You can see what you're doing. But when it's dark, when it's nighttime, you sort of don't have a clear vision, right? Essentially, and in the context here, Jesus is saying this. He's saying money blurs our vision. Money blurs our vision. Now, the thing is on this point, I don't think we need Jesus to tell us this. 
If we look around, I think we actually see that money does blur our vision, right? We see it in the news, week in, week out, right? In the last week, we've kind of seen something like it with Paul Pasali, the mayor of Ipswich. Depending on whether or not he took the $50,000 for extortion or to hide something or fraud or whatever it was, right? We know that whatever decision he was making in that moment was a dumb decision. His vision was blurred because of money. We watch people in the news deal drugs, something illegal. Why? It's because of money, right? They could go to jail for a long time, and yet they still do it for the chase of money. Their decision has been blurred because of it. We watch good people do stupid things all the time. People kill for money. People's vision is blurred from, by money. But the scary thing is this. The scary thing that is that it doesn't just happen out there in the news it happens inside of us and in our homes as well. And I was reminded of this again uh, this week. It's a common saying, you might have heard it before, but this guy was talking, I was listening to this guy speak about this, and he said this idea that we touched on a little bit before, but that at a funeral or on your deathbed, your words are never, I wish I had more stuff. Your words are never, in that moment, I wish I worked more. At a funeral, in the, on your deathbed, you're never looking at stuff. You know that stuff doesn't give you anything in that moment, and yet you say in that moment, man, I wish I spent more time with the people I loved. Wish we did more stuff that we really valued. Money blurs our vision. And if, it, if you look at the general Brisbane home, we see that as well. People work long and ridiculous hours missing key moments of their family's life. Why? Because of money. People work stressful jobs they don't need to work in. Stressful jobs under high pressure at the cost of their physical health. Why? Because of money. People move suburbs and states and countries. They leave their family and their church family behind at the cost of emotional and spiritual and even physical health. Why? Because of money. Money blurs our vision. It causes us to do stuff that we will regret. And so we don't need Jesus to tell us money blurs our vision. We know that it blurs our vision. So instead, we need to ask of ourselves, are we seeing clearly in this moment? Are we making decisions in our current stage of life that we will regret in the pursuit of more stuff? Jesus says to us, money is dangerous, blurs our vision. Our problem is I just don't think we see it's dangerous, right? Like if we know that something's dangerous, so um, if you have a phobia of snakes, brown snakes are dangerous, right? Uh, even if you don't have a phobia of snakes, that's still true. But we know like a brown snake's dangerous, so we stay away from it, right? We're cautious to it. We're careful with it. We, we know it's there, and so we stay away. We even dream about it. We freak out about it um, because we know it's there. No one with a brown snake goes and starts playing with this snake. No one goes over, picks it up, and throws it at our kids and say, here's a snake to play with, right? We, we'd never do that because we know it's dangerous. Jesus is saying here, money blurs our vision. It's dangerous, and yet we don't show caution to it. We're not careful with it. Instead, most of the time, we're actually pursuing it, chasing after it. And so money gives us something that fades. Money gives us something that blurs our vision. And finally, Jesus says, money takes our allegiance. We see that in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to, one, to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money. 
Now, interestingly enough, Jesus uses this language elsewhere, right? He says, in another place, he says, anyone who follows me must hate their mother and father. And he's not you know, saying we need to hate our mother and father. He's just saying compared to how much we love God, to some people, that's what it should look like. Here's kind of the same thing. Like, we don't need to hate money, but compared to how much we live for God and love God, that's what it should look like. So, so here it is. We can live for God and use money, or we can live for money and use God, but we can't live for both. We can't serve both. Right? We actually have to make a decision at some point. Who are we going to live for? Are we going to live for God and use money, or use money, or live for money and use God? We can't live for both, Jesus says. You, you can't serve both. And so here's what money gives us. Money steals our allegiance. Where our treasure is, our heart goes. Where our heart is, our money follows. Money steals our allegiance. So what do we have from money? We've got it, it, it takes, it fades. Money fades. It gives us something that fades. Money blurs our vision and money steals our allegiance. And Jesus says you can't serve money and God. So if that's what money gives us, if this is the comparison that he's giving us, what does God bring to the table? What does God give us? If he's setting up this comparison here, what does God give us? Well, apart from access from heaven, which we talked about, which is a pretty good deal, Jesus points out to us physically what Jesus gives us. And we see that from verse 25 to the end. This is what God gives us. Verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about what your life, about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, we've got to be careful here in this kind of environment when we're speaking to people who actually struggle with anxiety because sometimes people will use this verse as kind of a way to go, there you go, you shouldn't be anxious. Right? But we do need to recognize that sometimes anxiety is a psychological issue. And if that is you and you, you know, you're an anxious person and you struggle with, these, uh, with anxiety, there are good people to go and see, counselors and doctors and stuff like that. And Jesus isn't speaking to you in this space. But there is a level here where Jesus is actually saying, so don't worry about what you've got. Don't worry about your needs because God will look after you. And you can kind of imagine, right, he's on this mountain, he's speaking to people, and you can kind of see as he speaks those first six verses about money gives us, about what money gives us and storing our treasures in heaven, you can almost hear people going, okay, so I'm not rich, I just want to look after the needs of my kids, I want to give them stuff, I want to make sure they've got food and a good context to live, to which Jesus says here, don't worry because God will look after you. 
Don't worry because God will look after you. And he does that by saying, uh, by speaking about primary and secondary needs. So our primary needs, first of all, we see this idea here. Our primary needs are that we have life itself. If we are alive here, if we're breathing here, if we're listening here, if we, as we sit here, we take a deep breath, God's given us that. God has you here. That is our primary need, right? That we are alive and God has you here. So you're not an accident. You're here for a reason. And Jesus says, if God gives you the primary need of life, then of course he's going to look after your secondary needs of food and shelter, and you can add water and clothes to that as well. And he does this by pointing to the birds and the grass. Right? So he points to the birds, and you can nearly imagine him pointing to the flock that's flying by going, look at those birds. Right? God looks after them. They fly around. They don't have these big barns. There's not some you know, bird farm where they have this big barn and they take all their seed too. That doesn't happen. They just fly around and do their thing, and God looks after them. Right? And so he's saying, if God can look after them, God can look after you. Now, he's not saying be lazy. Right? He's not speaking about your cockatiel at home that you feed with your seed and saying, now that's what we can be like. Right? Just be lazy, quit your job, and someone's going to come by and throw seed at you. That's a weird picture, and it's not going to happen. Right? He's speaking about real birds that really you know, eat in the wild. So uh, I witnessed this a couple of weeks ago. I was at Kingscliff. Um, I was fishing, and there was this eagle um, sitting on this light post, kind of watching what I was doing. And I thought the eagle was just being lazy, waiting for my fish. And then as I was there, you know, waiting for me to kind of present this fish to the eagle, but it didn't, and um, it, it didn't do that. It sat there for a couple of hours, and then all of a sudden, this big bait pool came swimming through, and this eagle flies down, nails the water. I'm freaking out, right? I don't know what's happening. <laughs> comes back out of the water and it's got a fish in its claws and then ate that for the rest of the time. I mean, it was pretty cool to watch. You don't look at that eagle and go, man, that thing's lazy, right? You don't, you don't look at that. Jesus isn't recommending here that we can be lazy and God's going to look after us. But he is saying, look at that eagle. It doesn't worry. It doesn't have this storehouse that it keeps all its food. It, it trusts, in a sense, it trusts God. Like It knows that, that God's going to look after him. And if he doesn't, well, that's... That's fine. That's the end of that eagle's life. But while he's alive, God's looking after that thing. And, and, and so for us, it's this idea we're actually better to God. We're more valued to God than the eagle. And so if God looks after the eagle or the birds, he's going to look after us as well. And then he points to the grass. Right? He says, look at this grass that's growing. Right? It's lush. It's green. It looks good. There's even flowers popping up. He's saying, even though you would prefer, if you could, to take your mower through that and mow it down because we love a clean lawn, right? He's saying, look at this. It's clothed. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And so if God can look after the grass, of course God can look after you. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that God actually is going to look after you. If you're living, if you're breathing, God's going to provide for you all that you need. If he's given you your primary needs, he's going to give you your secondary needs as well. So here we have it, right? Here we have God. God looks after us. He's bankable. He has our back. He provides for us. And so we've got to come back to that question. Okay, so who are we going to serve in this space? You've got money that's going to fade, that blurs our vision, and that takes, steals our allegiance, and then you have God that looks after us. When you think about that, who are you going to serve? Because you can't serve both. 
Now, hearing Jesus' words here, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Right? Of course we're going to go after God in that space. Right? One fades, God gives us something that lasts. Money blurs our vision, God helps us see clearly. One steals our allegiance, yet God deserves our allegiance. The answer is obvious here. Yet it's hard to actually figure out what we're doing here. It's actually hard to act on this, isn't it? Because of the nature of what money does, because of the nature of it blurring our vision, it's actually hard to figure out whether we're living for God or money or not. And I think this morning we do need to figure out what we're going to do with this. Right? If you're here this morning and you're, you're not sure about Jesus, and all you've heard me saying for the last 20 minutes is that I want your money, I don't want your money. Right? In fact, I hope you can be here and enjoy. We'd love to talk a little bit more about what Jesus gives us. But if you are here this morning and you are a Christian, what do we do with this? What do we do with this wrestle between God and money? Well, the first thing I think we have to do is actually act on this. Right? The reason I say that is because I've heard so many money talks before where I go home, I'm fired up, but I forget, the footy comes on, I forget about it, uh, payday comes and I forget to change anything and then you know, the moment's gone. I forget to do something about that. Uh, I heard a stupid little riddle this week that explains why I forget to do that. The riddle goes like this, 12 frogs are on a log and 12 frogs decide to jump in the water. How many frogs jump into the water? The answer, none. Because there's a difference between deciding to do something and doing something. And I think that's actually true when we think about money. I feel like we get fired up, we decide to do something, and then sometimes it's actually hard to do something. Now again, if all you're hearing is that we want your money and church wants your money, I hope you can see we don't. It's bigger than that. right? This is bigger than that. Jesus is saying there's something more on the line here. It's about our hearts, our investments. It's about how we see. It's more than that. But he does say we need to do something about this. So, so what do we do about this? Well, I reckon there's kind of three challenges that I want to lay down for us all. And that's for me and Elizabeth included. That's for us as well to go home and do. The first challenge is to go home and look at your bank account. Print off your bank statement and ask the question, what does our money say about our heart? If you're married, do that together. Ask the question of, of your husband and your wife. Sit there together. If you're single, ask the question, what does how you spend your money say about what you value and where your heart is? Because Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. The second step is if you see that your treasures are on earth, we can actually come back to God in that. We can repent of that. God is faithful and he is faithful to forgive us and he is faithful to forgive us even when we've been making bad investments, investing, putting our heart into this earth. We can run back to God and turn to him in that moment. And the third thing in that space is start storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, if we really believe this, if we are taking God's word seriously in this, then we should start storing treasures up for ourselves in heaven. And we need to start doing something about this. Start investing your time, your efforts, your money in the greater kingdom, in God's greater kingdom. The world says this is all that you've got. But God's kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus is speaking about, says there's something more on offer. There is something greater. And so let's decide to do something about it and let's act on this. And we need to do this. We need to react to God's word. We need to, change. we need to change as we hear God's word. Because money is dangerous. It blurs our vision. It takes what we've got. It fades. It steals our allegiance. It's a serious enemy that we need to be aware of. 
And this was brought to my attention this week, not just in reading Jesus' words, but when you find out that someone in North Korea is praying for you in your battle against money. This week, uh, I was searching up about that guy that um, came back from North Korea and passed away. If you know the story, the news article was around this week. Um, crazy that North Korea just do whatever they want. But in that space, I stumbled across this article, and the article was titled this. It was called, it was called Christians in North Korea Not Praying for Freedom, But for Westerners Who Put Their Faith in Money. As you see that article, that stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? And this is what they said, right? This is what they said. On hearing that Westerners prayed for them, they said this. You pray for us, we pray for you. You have so much, you put your faith in your money and your freedom. In North Korea, we have neither money nor freedom, but we have Christ and we found that he's sufficient. We have neither money nor freedom, but we have Jesus and he's enough. And so the North Korean Christians are praying for us in our battle against Money, And so we need to hear Jesus' words and react to this. We need to do something about this. We can't just slide this off. We can't sugarcoat this. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. There is something greater. There is something greater on, on, on offer here. Put your treasures in heaven where moth and rust and vermin, where it won't fade and it will last. Let's not just decide to do something about this. Let's act on this. And let's join with the prayers of our North Korean brothers and sisters and pray that we would. Let's pray. God, we see your words here. And we hear that there is something greater on offer for us. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that in Jesus we can have this hope of something greater. We can have this hope of of heaven and we know that there is a reality of that. We pray, Lord, that while we wait for this day where we get to see you face to face, that we would be smart and wise in how we spend our money and our time here and now. We pray that you'd give us the strength and the energy and the wisdom to do this. We hear your words, Lord, that where our treasure is there, our heart is as well. And we want, to give our, we want to give our hearts to you, Lord. We want to be living for you. So help us in this, we pray, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.